Good evening, everyone. It's Thursday, Necro Thursday, and we're here with another episode of the Necromaniacs Horror Podcast. How's it going, Jeff? It's going all right, man. How are you? Life is good. I'm having a, a good summer so far, but I am looking forward to autumn. Oh, me too. Yeah, especially now that I live in Austin, where we, I, I mean, we sort of have an autumn here. It's it's not quite the same as it was back in uh, back in New England, and it's been uh, it's been a hundred and three, hundred and five here every day for pretty much the last two, three weeks, and um, kind of over it. Yeah, I'm not down with heat, man. I um, uh, it's kind of been temperate the last few days, and uh, I'm really looking forward to the fall yeah me too man uh yeah just a little over this excessive heat working in it and just feeling constantly drained sweaty and gross um yeah <laughs> that into it you know also in the fall we have uh halloween which uh, yeah. would mean the annual necromaniacs halloween episode so we gotta look forward to that yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think we'll uh, we'll have a, a cool movie for the three of us to cover, or an interesting one to talk about to, to cover anyway. Definitely a lot of debate on the movie that we're talking about. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Very, very curious to see what it's going to turn out like. <laughs> <laughs> Before we get going, I just want to shout out everyone. Of course, I'm talking about the Horsemen of the Podcasting Apocalypse. Naturally, that starts off with Brandon Legion's Horror Wolf 666. We have Jackie Smith into the Necrosphere. Everything went black, which is uh, my variety show, for lack of a better term. <laughs> Mike's variety show. Yeah. I just had uh, our mutual friend Eugene Robinson on a couple weeks ago. I listened to it. It was great. Not long enough, though. I was kind of disappointed when it was over. I could well, listen to Eugene talk for hours. Yeah, he, he had a, a hard out. So, um, yeah, you, know, you mentioned busy, that. Busy guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, indeed. Yeah, especially with his uh, forthcoming uh, biography and the new Oxbow record, all that stuff. Great record. It is. Thursday is uh, Necro Thursday, of course. Necromaniacs. Break the Apocalypse. Rounds out the week. The Lord's Day brings us Soul Knocks by Hall, Carl Haikara. And uh, we have to welcome Iblis Manifestations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cheyenne from uh, Trivax. Excellent show. Oh, great. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's a solid week of media. It is. You can't argue with that. Yeah. Have uh have you checked anything out of note? Well, yeah, Mike, I have. I went to the Alamo Draft House to see Talk to Me, the horror sensation that seems to be um on everyone's you know, pest of the year list already. It's a lot of hype about it. Have you seen it or you you've at least heard about it, I imagine. Oh yeah, you can't go anywhere without hearing about it. You know, every time you go to the movie you just see a preview for it. Yeah, yeah. I never. I went in totally blind. I just saw a trailer. <clears throat> I saw that it had good reviews. It had some like ninety something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Didn't read any of the reviews. It's like, oh, you know what? Everyone on Instagram or social media is talking about how great this movie is. I'm just gonna, you know, plunk down some bucks to go see it. And uh, I gotta say, man, wasn't into it at all. Dude, I I fucking saw the preview and I was like. Get the fuck out of here, man. This thing looks like <laughs> so not the kind of thing I'd be into. Yeah, and that's what's surprising me. People I respect, people who who really, you know, love horror are, are saying, Yeah, this is this is the real deal. It's one of the best horror movies of the last few years. And I I just didn't I just didn't get anything from it. It felt sort of like a generic teen Hollywood, you know, horror horror movie. It just wasn't I don't know. It, it would require a more in-depth discussion to really get into what I didn't like about the movie. Um, I do want to point out when I went to see this with my girlfriend and we saw this at the draft house 
and everything you see before the trailers start is curated to the movie you're going to see. So it showed uh, these guys are YouTube. The, the directors are huge YouTube sensations or something like that. And it was just showing, uh, you know, their, their YouTube videos and like their, their, their journey of making this movie. And my girlfriend turned to me and she said, I think she's like, you made up your mind that you hate this movie already. Didn't you? <laughs> 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 I was like, I laughed, but I was like, no, no, come on. You know, everything deserves a fair shake. And, uh, when on the car ride home, you know, she, you know, even she, she liked it, but she's like, it wasn't that good. It was, it was okay. Yeah, I, I heard uh, interviews the guys who made this uh, film, and uh, yeah, uh, they annoyed the shit out of me. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, good for them and their success. You know, I'm not a I'm not a hater. I just didn't enjoy this movie, and I just saw the uh, yesterday they announced a sequel. So you know, they're doing something right. I guess you know, hey, and people it connected with people. It just didn't connect with me. I thought it was a complete dud. Is not good. Yeah, I mean, we'll uh, we'll definitely cover it. Uh, probably wait for it to uh, go streaming before I see it. You know. Yeah, good idea. Um, I kind of wish I waited for streaming uh, for that one. Other than that, um, I'm doing a Shield rewatch. A rewatch of that ah. FX show, uh, The Shield. You've seen The Shield, right? Yeah, it's great. I really, really dug it. It's yeah, and I haven't. This is my first rewatch. I haven't watched it since the season seven finale, whenever that was. The show started back in 2002, which is somehow 21 years ago, Mike. And, and, you know, this is Jesus. a, a this, this, uh, life is just flying by. I feel yeah. like the show's just on the air. And I was like, what, 21 years ago? What the fuck? That's a lifetime ago um, for some people. It is. And you know what? You know, I was kind of expecting it to be a little dated and it, it holds up very well i think maybe conceptually you, you wouldn't really see a show like this today no this is from the era of the sopranos and you know the anti-hero you know you had you know mad men too this, these kind of deeply flawed main characters i mean you're the guy you root for is a dirty cop he's a murderer he's a drug dealer he's a thief but he's the guy you identify with, and everyone who's trying to take him down is the bad guy, <laughs> you know? Uh, I just found that interesting, that, that you just wouldn't see anything like this nowadays. It saddens me that society has turned their back on the anti-hero, you know? Yeah, I think the last anti-hero we got was, you know, Walter White. I can't think of anything since uh, Breaking Bad where you are supposed to identify with, you know, a terrible person. And even that was a long time ago at this point. Yeah, even that was, yeah, longer than, than I thought. You know, that was like, I can't remember when that show went off the air. But it, it's been it's been a minute. Uh, but yeah, I, if you haven't watched The Shield, I highly recommend it. Uh, it's a really great show, probably top five of all time for me, you know, up there with Sopranos and The Wire and, other shows of that nature. I think it's on Hulu now, right? Uh, I actually own the box set. I've been uh, watching it, uh, you know, with my, uh, my Blu-ray player. Um, but, I, yeah, you're probably right. It probably is streaming on, on Hulu. It's a nice box set. Good packaging and everything. I remember I traded some ISIS vinyl for it. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> yeah, you know, got, I mean, I got a lot of it, so I got to do something with it. What about you, man? You been into anything? Well, I just recently rewatched uh, both uh, Nosferatu films, you know, the F.W. Murnau 1922 movie oh, with uh, wow. Max Shrek, you know, and of course, Nosferatu the Vampire, the 79 uh, Herzog remake or reimagining mm -hmm. however you want to play it with that ah man that's one of the the herzog version is one of my favorite horror films uh, of all time i love that movie i i uh go into this in a episode of uh, everything went black with paul aloisio we uh discussed this a little bit but the that's i think that might be my favorite rendition of dracula actually is the klaus kinski version yeah did did you watch it in English or German? Because I have the old 
DVD of that where it's a two disc thing. You can watch the English version or the you know version in German. Basically the same movies, but they shot the scene, you know, in one take uh, English, one take in, in German. And I've only seen the German version because uh, I've always read that it's much better. I have the uh, Shout Factory version. It has both on there, and I've watched both yeah. of them. But recently I watched it in English. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Did um, you notice a significant difference? I mean, besides uh, one being in English and the other being in German, which uh, is a language I don't speak, uh, no. <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, I, I love, I like foreign films. I'm cool at reading subtitles, but if Me it's too. actually yeah. shot in English, and uh, yeah, that just felt like watching that one. Cool. Yeah, and we're gonna have a new version of that film next year, I think. I'm interested By, uh, in that Denver. because uh, yeah. Robert Eggers is doing it. Yes. Yeah. That and is I a think, director um, whose name gets me excited. Isn't uh, one of the Skarsgård brothers, uh, is Peter Skarsgård playing? Or which, which is the, the funny looking guy? Uh, I, I think it's the guy who played Pennywise, whoever, which, whichever one that is. Yeah. Yeah. That guy. He's like the weirdest looking, like handsome guy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That whole family just has a, a serial killer esque look to them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, <laughs> even Alexander Skarsgård, he's like a handsome man, but in this like, like, you know, Bundy kind of way, like a Bundy-esque, you know, handsomeness where he could like probably like just strangle you at some point, you know? Yeah, while he's smiling. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I get that vibe from, from everyone in that family. But yeah, very much looking looking forward to, to that one. Uh, which was coming out this year, man. This year is kind of lacking for me with 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 horror. Yeah, not. I I kind of agree with that. Though I do have uh, a pretty solid list for our year end, though. It's, you know, do in, you? The in the works. Uh, okay, all right. We'll have to trade notes because uh, I you know I got like a, a couple. I think I got like two that I know are a, a lock. But yeah. you know, there's still still some months to go. So yeah, still got some time. Um, yeah. Aside from that, I did a big rewatch of True Detective once again in preparation for um, a Long Shadows double episode that Ralph and I are working on. And um, that's something that over on Everything Went Black, people have been talking about this for a couple of years, asking us to do something like that. So um, Ralph and I, you know, he's, um, he just finished up. He's a teacher, so he just finished up his summer break. And we put some mm. efforts into actually coming up with something I think is really cool for this uh, two-part episode that we're going to do. Are you just doing season one? Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, it's season one, um, Weird Fiction, uh, Robert Chambers. Like it's, it, there's, a, there's a thesis that I'm presenting and I'm backing it up with facts that I pulled <laughs> from the show. Oh wow! I'm yeah. very much looking forward to hearing that because Mike, as you know, I just rewatched season one, and uh, this, I think that was like my third or fourth time going through season one, and it was the most satisfying of, of, of all of the the watches I had. For some reason, like everything just clicked. Even the ending, which I've been critical of for so long, really kind of sat well with me the last time I watched it. Yeah, I mean, it's. Um... I I love it. I mean, there's so much about it that I like, but the overarching concept, I think, uh, after watching it with some real attention to detail, the mm. things that I suspected, I found to be sort of bolstered in some of the events in the series. Mm. I'll just uh, kind of leave it at that. You know what I mean? Every Everyone's talking about, like, Ligotti and this and that. And yes... But the Legati element in True Detective, I feel like, is more just background. It's not like the the film hinges on any sort of Legati esque, you know, philosophy. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. No, I know what you mean. It adds. It's a lot of color for the Russ Cole character. But yeah, I I agree with what you're saying. Yeah, but the overarching story, like the story, the narrative, is you know really, you know. Well, I'll leave that to the episode. I think there's like a a thing going on there. And I I've you know, I've heard some interviews with Pizzolato and yeah, you know, we'll I'll get into it on that on that show. 
And you were you referred to it as a film, which I kind of feel like it really is an eight hour movie. Yeah. More than yeah. a TV show. Definitely. You know. Yeah. And while we're on the subject, I'll say it again. Season two, very underrated. Totally agree. It took me a while to come around to that one, but I, I'm on board with that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I just, I, you are the only person who agrees with me. Everyone thinks season two is shit and season three is a return to form. And uh, I just don't feel that way. I thought season three was the weakest season. Let's move on to the uh, necro voicemails from the necrophone. <laughs> ah, yes. Yeah. So if you guys want to call us and uh, leave a message, make recommendations, uh, you can hit us up at 908-913-0782. And that's 908-913-0782. So uh, first up, of course, we have Mike from Telford, PA. Always looking forward to um, any kind of communication with our friend Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, good afternoon, Necro Hoods. This is uh, Mike from Telford. No recommendations this week. Just calling to say I really enjoyed the whaling episode. I'm definitely going to check that movie out. Sounds cool as shit. And uh, it was uh, kind of a hassle for me to get a, get that episode this week. It didn't fucking download on my iPod for some reason. So I had to go down to the local Starbucks at lunchtime and get on their fucking public Wi-Fi, and boy, was it worth it, man. Quotes of the week. Uh, I, I reject the Exorcist fucking remake like I reject society. Well, I've, I had me fucking busting up, and then the classic Mike Hill saying, people are fucking idiots. I couldn't agree more. That, that was great stuff right there. Um, so hope everything's all right. I had something else to tell you, and I can't think of it. Oh, if you guys, this is totally, like, I don't know, use your discretion on playing this message, but the end of the necrosphere death metal thing that, that you guys did, the three-way, had me going back through some stuff. And in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, Killjoy and Chris Reifer had this band, The Ravenous, and all their stuff is fucking drenched in fucking filthy horror greatness. That's some of the best death metal I... That's the kind of shit that I like. So I was just wondering if you guys had uh, ever heard that or, or were fans of that. It kind of falls in line with the Anselmo era necrophagia and how much I love that shit. And uh, Jim Van Bever's long fan, long form uh, video for that uh, necrophagia album, Holocausto de la Mort. That home video thing is it's fucking classic. I, I, I love that shit. All right, fellas. Uh, like I said, if this is a waste of time, I don't want to fucking wear out my welcome, but thanks for the episode, and, and uh look forward to next Thursday. Cheers. I have to say, props for keeping it real with the iPod. I uh, miss my iPod. What about you, Jeff? Dude, the iPod was the coolest invention of my life, and then five years later, it's obsolete. <laughs> it's fucking crazy. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, I, I would still be using mine, except that it just completely fucking disintegrated after a while you know it's just stopped yeah and it's not com- yeah it's not compatible with, with things anymore yeah it was man I, I i loved my ipod man i did not go anywhere without that thing you know oddly i haven't heard the death metal band ravenous but um if it's mm-hmm. like uh anselmo era necrophagia i think i'm in yeah, I think I'm out on that one. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're, I mean, you're not a big death metal fan, so yeah. No, I don't. I, I can't think of any death metal that I that I've listened to ever. <laughs> and oh, by the way, yeah, I love those uh, Van Beber uh, videos and that that collection. That thing's pretty sick. Even if you don't like death metal, I think you should check that out, uh, Jeff. It's like uh, a horror movie, basically. Yeah, well, send me a link when we're done. I'll check yeah. it out. I'll check out anything. Hell yeah. All right, we have Andrew from Atlanta, who um, actually is the guy who recommended Sinister. So, you know, thanks for doing that, Andrew. Hey, Necromaniacs. This is Andrew from Atlanta calling for the second time. Uh, 
about to start up the episode here for The Wailing, which was the, the film that I had uh, submitted up to you all. So super stoked on that. And uh, a, a core memory flashed back to me that I guess will age me as um, a, a little younger than some listeners, but uh, Sinister, the movie from a few weeks ago, uh, my high school senior class went to see that as a bonding activity. That just flashed back to me. Um, that, uh, that episode unlocked a little bit of nostalgia for me. Thought I would share. Um, but anyway, yeah, stoked to check out this one on The Wailing. Hopefully you guys dug it. And uh, keep it up, y'all. I have to say that uh, going to see Sinister as a bonding experience for high school <laughs> seems kind of weird to me. Seems very weird to me. <laughs> I guess someone didn't really do their research. <laughs> But it is good to know that we have a, a pretty broad range of ages of listeners, so I'm happy about that. Yeah, me too. Yeah, you know, uh, I always just think some that everyone listening is in sort of our age age group. Yeah, that's that's uh, that's very cool to hear. Yeah. So for this week, we this this actually came as a recommendation from Rennie, our uh, quality control manager. And he brought that this makes movie to my, my, you know, my attention. So we, we delved into Older Gods, which is a VOD on Prime and was released in January 2023. So, uh, yeah, it's a direct-to-video. There was no theatrical release. It's one hour and 40 minutes. Oh, I had one hour and 21 minutes. Really? It, is that, that, that interesting? Maybe there's a typo or something like that. All right. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, it's either one hour and forty minutes or one hour and twenty minutes. So there's some somewhere. <laughs> or you and I watched. You and well, I watched. Maybe we watched movies. two different movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, anyway, someone someone uh, dead wrong me on this one. Let me know what the right answer is. <laughs> mm. uh, written and directed by David A. Roberts, and this is his directorial debut, and um, most of his career was spent as an editor. And he uh, joined Wagyu Films to focus on features. And this is his first feature film. Yes. Kind of a small cast. Apparently, this was filmed during the uh, pandemic. But, um, you know, so there's really... I'm just going to name the two main guys in this. It's uh, yeah, Rory Wilson as Chris Rivers and Lewin Coombs as Bill Duffy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you go to their, that uh, pin, sorry, what's our, what were you gonna say, Jeff? I was gonna. It does have like a, it, it's cool you mentioned that it did have like a pandemic era feel to it, where a lot of movies were taking place in an isolated uh, places and very small casts. Yeah, one one of our favorite movies, uh, In the Earth, was uh, was like that. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Good oh, actually, uh, you failed to mention that you saw the Meg, didn't you? Meg three. <laughs> No, I didn't end up going to see it, no. Ah, all right, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you going tomorrow? Are you going to see it tomorrow? No, I'm going to see um, the final vo voyage of the Demeter, either today uh, or tomorrow. We haven't decided which day we're going to go yet. Okay, yeah, I, I might go see that too. Yeah. And if you go to the website, it says pretty much straight up, a Lovecraftian descent into madness. Yes. And uh, that's pretty much uh, right on the nose with this movie. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, a modern take on Lovecraft. I mean, it's not... I mean, like... It, it's a little more subtle. Now, I didn't feel like overall like it was very Lovecraftian, just maybe conceptually. Um. Well... All right, first off, <laughs> I kind of feel like cosmic horror, even though it's like this really, you know, grandiose idea, works best in these kind of intimate environments, you know? Oh, yeah, sure, absolutely. Yeah, you know, like the Benson and Moorhead films are, you know, they're all, you know, high concept cosmic horror, but they're told within these very, very small settings with a lot of dialogue, a lot of, um, 
you know, interaction between people and not a whole lot of special effects. It's not like you see these like gigantic creatures or, you know, intergalactic scenes or anything. And um, I mean, right. if you were going to adapt like, you know, the call, th- call of uh, Cthulhu or, you know, Mountains of Madness, you might need a budget, obviously, for something like that. But this is not what these guys are doing, which I thought was cool. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Although there is uh, more special effects in this than, than uh, I anticipated. True. And, you know, uh, the, it's obviously a very small budget. and But for a movie with such a small budget with uh, digital effects, they didn't look terrible. No, no. I mean, it, it, it had a good atmosphere. You know, the, the effects that they had were pretty cool. And I actually really dug the premise of the movie you know and um, yeah yeah just if you go online and you want to read a quick summary it's uh after the disappearance of his troubled friend bill duffy chris rivers investigates a dark apocalyptic cult so right there you know that tagline kind of drew me in and um so the movie opens with uh, a voicemail from bill and um you know he's talking about how he sent a package of material to uh, Chris, right? You know, and at the to set the stage here, Chris is um, living in the United States, I believe Denver, and uh, he arrives at this remote countryside in Wales, and um, is it's alleged it's alleged that Bill killed himself, and this package arrived after his death, and Chris actually had to leave his pregnant wife. And he just kind of disappeared for a couple of days to kind of sort out what's going on. So that's the setting of the film. Yeah, got to give a, a, the, the whoever picked these locations. The house is is, is nice. Like it, it was a, a good choice. Yeah, it looks great. You know, obviously, uh, I think this film is actually Welsh. You know, these are uh, international actors that we're dealing with here. Yeah, right. Like these two are like childhood friends, but one has a British accent and the other doesn't. <laughs> um, I found that a little strange, but you know, whatever. Really, I heard uh, subtle act- accents with uh, both guys. Oh, I seem to remember Billy having a heavier accent and Chris sounding much more American. I also wrote down that Chris, the, the actor who played Chris, could be Adrian Brody's younger brother. Yeah, no, definitely, I agree. Well, okay. well, I mean, I'm sure this wasn't intentional, but you know, like sometimes, like people from different countries, they move to a diff another country, and their accent changes and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, that could have happened. Yeah. The dude's been living in Denver for, um, you know, for ten years or more. Maybe he loses his accent a little bit, like that kind of thing. Yeah, although my father's been living in America for something like, I don't know, 50 years, and he still sounds very Portuguese. Oh, really? <laughs> uh, then you got someone like Madonna, who lived in England for a week and had, like, a Cockney accent afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> so through a series of videos, we learn about Bill's uh, research that he's doing out there. And uh, this, is, this is the part that I found really cool. A little bit on the nose. And like Renny yeah. and I discussed this where, you know, if you, if you have a background reading Lovecraft or, you know, any of this Carl Edward Wagner, you know, or Ted Klein and stuff like that, you know, this stuff is not new to you, you know, but if you're someone who is um, just getting into this kind of stuff, it's uh, it, conceptually, it's interesting, you know? I agree. And I completely agree with you that the, the, like uh, the dialogue is very on the nose and very convenient that this guy has a video of his friend basically explaining everything. Um, conceptually interesting, it just feels a little stiff and, and like you said, on, on the nose. It basically spells out what Cosmic Horror is. It just sounds like they're saying the mission statement, <laughs> like boom, in the, mid, like, in, in the form of dialogue. Yeah, I mean, the main premise of uh, Cosmic Horror has to do with what they refer to as the primordial fear. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a realization that the universe is so gigantic and vast that human existence is completely insignificant. It means nothing. It's meaningless. You know, and yeah. um, that creates despair. 
you know, and this is like, you know, you can connect this to uh, Ligotti's pessimism and, you know, just how everything has no meaning. And once again, you know, Rust Cole, his whole cosmic pessimism, you know, all this stuff kind of fits together into this. Absolutely. It's something I think about constantly. This is why I don't sleep very much at night. <laughs> These thoughts are floating around in my head. And, you know, when I heard, when I, when I heard this, this bit of dialogue, you know, I was like, yeah, I've been on the note, but hey, this is interesting. This, this could be going to a lot of cool places. Yeah, so it's a great first step, you know. And, um, you know, of course, naturally, the next layer of this is how people react to this cosmic fear. You know, some mm. people are driven to madness and suicide and, you know, deep nihilism, you know. Um, you know, some embrace this, like, spiral outward. And a cult has sort of formed around this and come up with their own concepts. You know, the other thing they don't talk about is how, you know, this sort of uh, insignificance is kind of, you know, liberating for some people. That's not actually addressed in this movie. No, it's not. And I, I feel like it leaves a lot of things dangling and, and, and feeling incomplete. We go deeper into the Lovecraft rabbit hole with um, the cult has a belief in a deity called the origin. Okay. Now, this is the part for all you Lovecraft heads that's going to sound real familiar. So yeah. they believe that the all of the reality in its entirety that we are currently living in is just a dream of this slumbering God known as the origin. Okay? So mm. naturally, you know, this is like a very, there's a parallel to the whole Cthulhu mythos, you know? Right. And, um, yeah, you know. Now, will reality be blink out of existence if the origin awakens and will everything that we are vanish you know that that's one option or if he awakens will we be incorporated in his waking reality yeah so that that's like uh the cult through violence and chaos and th this is the connection which they needed to to beef this up a little bit more where they, they believe yeah. that through violent acts and chaos that they can awaken this God and they can be incorporated into his reality, thus turning their back on the insignificance of the current reality that we live in. So that's where it kind of falls a little bit for me, you know? Yeah. I, I like Mike, we talked a little bit about this. Uh, I think conceptually, Amazing, great idea, great. Like even just listening to you talk about it, I was like, ah, that, that's it's cool. <laughs> but I just feel like there's a certain amateurishness to, to this movie, and their their um, the ideas were a little bit bigger than than, than their grasp. Or you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's um, that's kind of my my take on it too. Is uh, I I dig the hustle. You know, I think that. The idea that is sort of underneath this movie is awesome, you know, like, but yeah. I feel like the narrative they built around this concept was a little flawed and, you know, it has like that demo vibe, you know, of a band that someday might be cool, but this is like a demo of maybe a bigger thing that this guy could do. Yeah, one hundred percent. This feels like it, it feels like a fan film, like something you'd watch on YouTube that's like twenty minutes long. It has that feel to it. I agree, you know, and, uh, you know, the fact that it's, it's, you know, such a small cast, you know, there's like just two guys in it and basically, and then like a bunch of call-ins and, you know, just like some random characters, it does have that like feel of a filmmaker and his friends, you know, and if you look in the IMDB, uh, there's only like uh, maybe two or three of the actors in this film that actually have other roles that they played. Yeah, it shows too. You can feel it when when, when you watch it. Um, you know, you like the, a lot of these movies are usually dialogue heavy, and I don't mind dialogue heavy films. We just watched a, a three hour, you know, Oppenheimer, a three hour movie, which is mostly dialogue, 
and a love. This movie, I mean, it has more exposition than it does natural dialogue. You know what I mean? It seems like anytime someone's talking, they're trying to explain something to you. Yeah, no, that's that's accurate because you know a lot of the voice not the not the voiceover stuff, but the um, the media. <clears throat> you know the scenes where Chris is literally watching a video of Bill talk, you know, and showing yeah. you know <clears throat> symbols and sketches and you know things like that. It's it's spent. It's I don't think that time is well spent. You know what I mean? It's like there's um that could have been used to connect some of these items, but it's instead it's presenting just straight raw facts to you as to what you know what what's what they found like who's who and this kind of thing right exactly and um you know most of the dialogue too also takes place on the phone yeah. and it's it's very painfully obvious that obviously it's not like a real conversation taking place between two people and again the dialogue has this weird stiffness uh, to it like when he's talking to Billy's mother and she goes oh that and, and unfortunately that's where he died <laughs> you know like it, it i didn't feel like a grieving mother would say and unfortunately yeah there was a, a certain lack of humanity to some of the dialogue between the characters you know like when when people are just conversing like that you were saying but you know like you said most of it's just like okay we're in Serbia we did this we did that yeah. This is the people all over the globe. You know, this is the things they all have in common, you know, and not, it wasn't very artful, you know, in the way that they described things. It just was like very, okay, matter of fact, here we go. You know, this is why, what we think is happening, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That definitely needed to be uh, worked on, like, you know, made another draft, something like that. I, I don't know. And, you know, I mean, it's, phone scenes in movies, I'm like, it's, it, it, if you watch it, you can just tell watching it that it's clearly not a people, a person, two people having a conversation. It, it just irks me. It, it bugs me. So and, I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. I mean, cut no, 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 no. Go, go ahead. Yeah. So Bill, this is, and the other thing too is the reason why Bill reached out to Chris is kind of odd too. I mean, he he wanted to um, have Chris come out to the you know the countryside. <clears throat> and he just wanted someone to witness that he didn't waste his life doing this stuff. And he wants to, you know, release Chris from any kind of guilt that he might have had. Because, you know, apparently, um, you know, Chris felt like he wasn't there for him during his life as a friend when he was involved in all this, like, you know, crazy research and stuff. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, I halfway through the movie is like, what is this guy even doing here? Yeah, like it says like well, he's investigating, but he doesn't really do anything. He gets uh, to that cabin or cottage, whatever, and pretty much stays there and puts uh you know papers all over the wall, everything pinned up on the wall, you know, like information, you know, drawings, things like that. But he's not doing anything. He's just sort of there. Yeah, and and then. Uh, you know, these stalkers start appearing and um, they start, you know, things are happening to him, you know. And the, like I said, the motivation for Chris to even request that he goes there seems very, very sketchy and not very well thought out. Exactly. And I thought that would kind of play into it more. Like, I was like, oh, clearly this is some sort of uh, trap or some like, you know, uh, kill list wicker man kind of thing where he's being lured somewhere over false pretenses uh you know under false pretenses well that, that's how i thought it would have worked better you know i mean um there's uh you know if they it would have been better if they were colleagues you know and maybe chris got alienated by some of this research that he was doing and he was like you know i want you to come here and you know evaluate what i was doing and you know, validate that this is real, then I'm not just out of my mind. But, you know, Chris is not even involved in this kind of thing. They're just friends, you know? That's a great point, actually. Just like what you said would have fixed some of the, the problems with it. it. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, these guys, I, I got the feeling that they hadn't really been friends in a while. And yeah. would you leave your pregnant wife a week no. before she gives birth to <laughs> just go sit in a cabin, basically, for, and do nothing? Yeah, I mean, it, in the basis, uh, I mean, you know, because this this is like a heavily 
well traversed story, you know? So, yeah, the two things that come to mind to even bring someone out there would be number one, you know, like I said, to have, he's a colleague to go out there and review his notes and validate things. Or the other would be for some kind of nefarious end. Like he wants him to, you know, be absorbed into the cult or become a sacrifice or, you know, something like that. Right. That's, that's where I thought it was going. So again, that, that got me interested because I love that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, it just sort of, yeah, it doesn't really, really go anywhere. What you have, like, well, first of all, the movie is divided into four parts, which I felt was very unnecessary because it's basically just a guy in, in, in his, in the cottage. He, I didn't feel like there was four distinct different parts to the movie. You know what I mean? Right. I, I, I think that, like, once again, I appreciate the hustle. You know, I appreciate this yeah. guy making a film like this and his, uh, you know, obvious interest in a subgenre of horror that I love, you know. And, um, you know, he got absorbed in that. He thought maybe breaking it up into chapters would make it more like, you know, weird fiction-esque, you know, is that cool titles and all that sort of stuff. But you're right. It's basically a guy in a room, <laughs> you know, being stalked by these cult members and slowly getting drawn into their whole trip, you know? But yeah, I, I, it wasn't really, it wasn't a lot there to like see like, okay, like he's slowly being drawn in, but at, like how, like it, yeah. it's, it, that's not developed enough. And, you know, he starts talking to the, the, the guy who's watching him. And, and again, the dialogue just feels like exposition. It doesn't feel like a, a, a natural conversation. And one, one of the biggest flaws in the movie, I think when he finally has this conversation with the watcher, the watcher's on one side of the door and Chris is inside. And it's one take and it just stays on Chris the whole time. <laughs> And I don't think the, the the director or the actor really are quite there yet for like a you know a three minute long one take scene. <laughs> you, no, do you know what scene I'm talking about? Oh okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean it's just it's clearly like this guy is is, is an amateur actor and he's clearly just talking to himself. Maybe there's someone redoing the other characters' lines, uh, you know, off screen, but. It was visually just uninteresting. Uh, that guy's not a particularly great actor. The dialogue wasn't that that great. It just it was a, a baffling choice. You know, it just felt like we, they wanted to have like a long take in the movie, but the stuff happening it just, it just didn't warrant that. It wasn't interesting enough. There is one moment in the film that I thought was really effective, and uh, it was a part where. All right, do you remember when he calls the police because there's the you know that guy in the hood is like you know yes. creeping yeah. out. So now this um, you know this cop shows up, and uh, you know he's got a uniform on. You know he's giving him the standard cop answers. You know about things. You know. Yeah. He's like, you know, if I were you, I would go home. I wouldn't stay here. Like that sort of thing. And then there's a moment where he asks for his name, not he's aware that he's wearing a uniform, but he's like, can I have like your, the, you know, your name or like, you know, show me your identification or something like that. And at this stage, the cop is actually in like standing in a shadow. Yeah. And you, you don't see his face and he's just like this, this almost like a silhouette and he refuses to show him any kind of identification. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that scene up. That yeah. was I, actually, I, I agree. I thought it was one of like the most effective scene in the movie that actually felt creepy. Exactly, because like everything felt super normal, you know. And then that once again, there's an opportunity to go down this folk horror route, you know, where it's like, oh shit, the whole town is like part of this thing, you know. Yeah, I, I thought that's where it was going to go. Yeah. And it didn't. And uh, yeah, it was disappointing. That was like the one scene that really stood out because he, he, you know, basically has to see his badge. And the guy, I love that the cop just kind of ignored him and just said, have a nice day or, or whatever he said. Yeah, that was a great scene. Um, very effective. But once again, would have been an excellent route for the narrative to go into. And it, it just didn't go that direction. No, it didn't. Um, one Another part I found interesting was uh, the dream sequences. And uh, we, we talked before this movie had a very limited budget, but the effects during the, 
aren't that bad. I mean, it's very subtle and minimal. You obviously see a computer-generated shot of the Earth, things like that, or where he's just sort of uh, like standing in this foggy void looking at something we later learn is the deity. I like that stuff. Yeah. Uh, Again, I wish it was explored a little more, and also that, that seems to be how I feel about this movie. It's conceptually very interesting right up my alley but it is executed poorly or not not as good as it should be yeah you know that that's at the end of the day that's kind of how i feel about it too um and there's just another couple of things too about it that you know it's okay so now the cult believes that all this chaos and you know violence is going to awaken the origin right this sleeping right okay okay yeah so why do they think that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was never really explored. It was like, oh, of course, you know, if we do all this violence, you know, we're that's going to awaken the God, you know, and that's the, the origin. You know, and then you have these voiceovers about, you know, hope is like a dim horizon, you know, all this kind of cool, like Lovecraftian dialogue. But that's yeah. never really, you know, it's it's vague and it's not really fleshed out as to why the origin would would be awakened by chaos, you know? Yeah. And that this, this uh, Chris is supposed to be there investigating what happened, but he doesn't do any actual investigation. Yeah. And it would have been cooler to just like, you know, not have that video of, of, of Billy telling Chris, first of all, Billy's like, thank you for, you know, picking up on the breadcrumbs. You're the only one who would, who, who would. So like, Why? These aren't breadcrumbs. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, why, it, why it's unexplored? Yeah. You know, and this, this whole thing about, okay, if, um, you know, human life is so insignificant, then why would a series of violent acts and chaos in this spec awaken this like, um, you know, omniscient God? You that's know? a very good point. <laughs> that's what I mean. You know? It's <laughs> like, like they don't, it seems like that. I mean, I, dude, look, I, I want, look, I want to, I, I want to like this. You know what I mean? Like, I went into yeah. this movie being like, I, I am all about it. I'm already halfway bought into this whole thing. But certain things like that really kind of like, I'm like, well, why would, all right, if, if, if humanity is insignificant and we're in this like nihilistic sea of, of emptiness, um, why would like a handful of people doing all this violence awaken this like, you know, cosmic God, this being, you know, if it doesn't even pay, have any awareness of any of this stuff, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. I know it, it doesn't make any sense uh, at all. when when you, when you say it like that, cause there's violent acts throughout the, the, the world all the time. Yeah, exactly. You know, then, and, and, and that's kind of like, that could have been like a moment or, or an opportunity to, uh, explore like some of the methods or like why like maybe it has to be done in a certain sequence it creates a certain entropy you know maybe this god is a god of chaos and you know there's too much order in the universe you know you know what I'm trying to say oh no absolutely and like for such a dialogue heavy movie it would have been more interesting to learn this uh, through conversations that are that are had maybe he meets someone they have like an in-depth conversation yeah. Uh, and said most of the movie is spent like him on the phone talking to his wife, uh, you know, Billy's mother. And, and a lot of that stuff just doesn't really go. His wife, like, I really thought they were going to rope that back into the story. And well, I guess they kind of do saying like this thing, you know, kill you, the cult will kill your family and all this stuff. But the fact that she was all pregnant and about to give birth is like, it's just, it was just such an odd decision. Yeah. You know, and, and, um, yeah, just a lot of that stuff felt unresolved or unnecessary. And even if, like, the the wife, you know, and, like, I don't know, like, it's just in a movie, if you're trying to keep it lean and mean and keep the the story moving, you should make sure that that plays into the narrative somehow, you know? Yeah, there should be no fat on this movie. If it is indeed an hour and 21 minutes and not an hour and 40 minutes, <laughs> we were still, <laughs> uh, still for debate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it felt like an hour and 40 minutes. It did um, feel long, yeah. right? It did, it did feel very long. Um, yeah, there should be zero fat on this movie, and there is a lot of fat. I just feel like the whole movie is like fat, you know, and very little, very little meat. 
and which is so disappointing because I think it's conceptually like like you like when you when we were talking I was like man I'm so on board with this yeah and uh, like it just slowly the longer the movie went on I got more and more disappointed um it, like I said, it feels like a fan film, something you see on YouTube. Uh, I want to point out again that a dialogue-heavy movie. The dialogue isn't very good. Yeah. Uh, at one point, a character says, "So that's what it feels like to shit yourself." <laughs> um, I just thought it was an, like funny enough. I was taking notes, and my I auto-corrected too. That's how it feels to shit your leg. <laughs> to shit your leg wow yeah i was like well that would have been infinitely funnier if you said that um and and at one point he's having this really heart to heart with with billy and some other existence or whatever and billy he says i zigged when i should have zagged <laughs> yeah dude totally i mean for a fan all right obviously this guy is into lovecraft and you know weird fiction and all that stuff but that's why you your your dialogue and the way you express yourself needs to be on point because those guys are like we're masters at that kind of you know expression. Totally, I I really feel like the smart thing whoever like wrote the story for they like come up with a story and outline and hand it off to someone else maybe to punch it up a little bit. I kept thinking like imagine you know Panos Cosmotis making this movie. Oh yeah. Like how insane it, it would have been, you know, same concepts and everything. Just, I think that would have been incredible. Yeah. I mean, the story itself is not anything new. You know what I mean? The story itself yeah. is like, you know, it, it, it how am I going to say this? Um, <laughs> it's the way you tell this story. That is all the difference because the story has been told many, many times before. So if you're going to add to this like pastiche, you better come packing a full lunch. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's a fairly accurate way. Yeah. I and mean, when you have lines like I zigged when I zagged, like yeah. it's just, yeah, you're not there. Cause like a, an asshole like me is going to watch this movie and compare it to all the other stuff that I've seen or read and pick out little things like that, you know? Yeah, exactly. I, like, you know, yeah. And that's just what, what the movie feels like in general to me. It's just not quite ready. Um, it, they, like, scenes go on for too long. Like I said, there's a scene between and, and Chris and, and, and Billy that feels like it goes on for 20 minutes. And it's maybe, like, you know, I don't know, three or four minutes. And nothing is really, I don't know, like, it's a very vague movie. Like a lot of it is like, I kept thinking, why is this happening? Why is this there? Uh, what, you know what I mean? And that's kind of like another criticism I have in, in general, when people try to go, make this, this genre of, of films where they think that, okay, well, I don't have to explain everything. But the reality is like, if you read any of these like Lovecraft, you know, short stories or, you know, like Ted Klein or Clark Ashton Smith, you know exactly what the fuck's going on in the stories. Right. Yeah. You know, there, there might be some like, uh, you know, a couple of, you know, maybe they don't resolve everything for you, but you know what the narrative is. And this one, there's certain things that are unclear that are like, okay, that needs to be explained more, you know? Right. And at one point, um, you know, you, we hear Chris's, uh, a, a voicemail and his wife is screaming at him never to come back. You know, don't, I, you know, I hate you, all this stuff. Like, well, what, I was like, oh, so the, the, the cult stole his phone and prank called his wife? I, I didn't understand what, what yeah. had happened. Yeah. It was just, just sloppy. Yeah, that, that, that's a, it's sloppy and not well, well executed. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know, like, you know, budget obviously is, it plays into it. But, you know, you got a filmmaker like Joe Begos, who's almost all of his movies cost under a million bucks. And he comes up with something interesting. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because he's got the the skill to do it, and I just think that the filmmakers here just not 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 quite ready. So, at the end of the day, how do you score this? <clears throat> yeah, that's tough. Um, I'm gonna go with two because 
uh, I love the ideas behind it. They clearly have great ideas. I just think the execution and dialogue, everything was, was, was deeply flawed. But there is something there. You know, and I, like I said, the, the, this idea matched with a great filmmaker would be probably one of the best horror movies ever. Yeah. I give it a three <clears throat> because I think that I won't be revisiting this movie. So, um, so it, it, I cannot give it anything above a three. Mm. Um, but if you like this type of thing, you know, and you're maybe just getting into it, you know, and maybe even if um, you're, you're getting into it because of, uh, um, you know, the show here or what we do at Everything Went Black, we're like telling you about this type of fiction and it's interesting to you, then definitely go see this and you'll be like, oh, okay, this is like an interesting concept here. But, um, yeah, I just think the film itself was a little bit lacking. And if you're someone who is well-versed in this type of uh, story, then you definitely don't need to see it. So it's kind of like, uh, you know, depending on where you're at, it might be a good movie to see or might not be. You know, for example, we just learned that we have like uh, some younger younger people that listen to the show. Yeah. You know, and if you, um, you know, are relatively new to cosmic horror, do yourself a favor. Check it out. I think it's on. It's on Prime. It's a rental. Maybe it'll be free at some point, you know. <laughs> so, or maybe you can find it on YouTube or something. But yeah, definitely give it a watch, and then move on to like Cosmo, you know, Panos Cosmatos, or like uh, you know Richard Stanley or something like that, you know. Yeah, you know what? That's that's what I would tell someone who's just getting into this. Is say, don't watch this. Watch, uh, you know, John Carpenter's Apocalypse trilogy. You know, watch, you know, uh, uh, Color Out of Space mm-hmm. or, you know, like watch like, because just, if this is like your introduction to the Lovecraftish lore, I don't know. I just think you might come away, uh, you know, deeply unpleased. Yeah, yeah, possibly. But, you know, I, I do appreciate this guy's, um, you know, Robert, uh, David Roberts uh, hustle on making this film. You know, Absolutely. I just think that maybe maybe he he wrote and directed it, and I'm sure he edited this film because he's an editor. Yeah. Maybe expand your team, co-write it with someone, you know? Absolutely, the, yeah. I the, mean, the directing wasn't it, terrible, I thought. No, yeah, it didn't look bad. It, like, everything, like, the camera was placed where it needed to. It didn't look like he didn't know what he was doing by any means. Yeah, like, it's... It looks pretty good. Again, very low budget, but it looks good. And I came away with this thinking, okay, I didn't like it, but there's something there's something there for this director. I would be curious to see where he goes after this. So yeah, this is uh, David Roberts' debut, you know, and you know, it, I, I have never made a film before in my life, nor do I ever plan to, but. You know, it's straight out here in the peanut gallery. All I have to do is say maybe, you know, get get a co-writer. Because my, my beef with this thing really is more narrative elements and storytelling than the sure. way it looks. Atmosphere is cool. You know, granted, the acting, sketchy. But who knows what kind of budget this guy had, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I try, You know, again, not a lot of information about this movie out there. No. You know, there's so. no tomato meter or anything like that. Um, very few reviews on IMDb. Like a, a lot of them seem to be uh, people's first review <laughs> uh, on IMDb. So meaning like, yeah, if someone probably friends with the people involved in the movie. Well, when, yeah, it's it, it, uh, and you know, when I, I was talking to a couple of friends after I, I uh, watched and most people hadn't heard of it. Yeah. That's why I wanted to talk about it because it's something that I think people should check out if you're not, especially if you're not, you know, into this kind of thing necessarily. And, and I just thought it'd be interesting to bring this up. You know, Rennie, Rennie told me about it. So, you know, I was going to ask, what did he think about it? <laughs> uh, text him directly. About it. <laughs> or, okay. uh, I'm sure Rennie, I hope Rennie, if you're listening, leave, leave a detailed review of your thoughts on this film. In the in the Instagram uh, post for this episode, we want I want I want everyone to know what you thought about this. Yeah, I'm very curious now. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. You know what I mean? I got gotcha. you. 
<laughs> so yeah, that's it, man. It's um, you know, that, that's what we think of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting, definitely yeah. interesting. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for listening, right. everyone, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Take care. Later. 